Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and sports nutrition professor of about 20 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens, strength coach around Strength Guild, also a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete. Okay. Uh, we're just pulling it together this morning, everybody. We're slur- slurping coffee and doing, the th- doing our thing. That's right. Um, let's start with the listener mail. I have one mail and one news, everyone, and then we're going to talk in the topic of the day after the break about minimums, minimum doses of different things, um, whether it be supplements or drugs or even pounds on the bar. You know, uh, oftentimes you hear about, uh, some of the coaches, Phil, I can't remember who it was. Um, is it Jim that talks about minimum, um, yeah, finding the minimum effective dose? There you go. So I thought we could address that from, you know, nutrition, lifting, the whole spiel. Uh, because if you can hone in and dial in, <laughs> that phrase is funny to me. Um, but if you could dial in what your minimums are, well, for efficiency reasons, that begs the question, why are you doing a lot more than that? Right? I mean, maybe there's sometimes you should. But anyway, uh, let us let me get to this first letter. Um I just got this, and it's from a listener. It's just entitled Fan Letter, so we're going to keep this anonymous. But um, it says, please see the attached paper from my 8-year-old. He often listens to the show with me. He probably listens uh, to me a little bit too much also. Um, Mm. This was an opinion piece for his class. All right, so I thought listeners could get a kick out of this. I did. So this is... Simply entitled Protein. Again, he's eight. In my opinion, protein is the most important and delicious food group. Mm. Uh, One reason is it has meat, (laughs) like chicken, (laughs) steak, deer, bear, cow, pig, and shrimp. Now, I'm going to digress just for a minute, but it's interesting his choices of meat there. Deer and bear. Dad must be a hunter. Um, The second reason is it gives you big muscles. The last reason is you can combine it with lots of stuff like shrimp and grits, uh, tacos, and he goes on a little list here, split pea soup, meatball, uh, sub, uh, and then uh, he talks about uh, sandwiches, ham and cheese, hamburgers, sausage and cheese, and egg sandwiches. Mm. That is why I love protein. (laughs) That's the end of it. Me too, buddy. Me too. (laughs) Classic. If he's listening to the show with his dad, I hope um, – well, obviously, we're pretty PG-13, so – but he's not quite 13. But, you know, this this uh, little dude is on the road to growth, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. Doing it right, my man, at least in my opinion. So thank you for that. That was good. It's a nice way to wake up and read that and have my coffee. Yeah. Um, one bit of news. Strength and Muscle Sport News. 
it's, this is something that I happen to just notice. I always say comes across my desk. Uh, this is about breakfast. You're always hearing about intermittent fasting and should we or should we not you know, eat breakfast because if you don't eat it, it would ex- essentially extend the fasting period and all that. But then, you know, for decades, of course, people have said breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Um, so this is entitled Effect of Breakfast on Weight and Energy Intake. A Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis of Randomized Control Trials. This is British Medical Journal, brand new. Uh, To examine the effect of regular breakfast consumption on weight change and energy intake, calorie intake, right, uh, in people living in high-income countries. And I think, of course, they just say that, meaning, you know, the first world, sometimes people will say, like first world problems. You know, we're not starving... um, most of the population, I'm not saying food insecurity doesn't exist here. Of course it does, but anyway. So this is a meta-analysis. It's a study of other studies trying to get to the heart of the matter uh, about breakfast. They looked at trials published between January of 1990 and January of 2018, so right up through last year. Um, they looked at studies that included a measure of body weight or calorie intake, Uh, Two independent reviewers extracted the data and assessed for the risk of bias. Now, that's an interesting slant on this particular paper. Um, I need to look in a little bit further as to how they systematically look at bias, right? Because my perspective is that all scientists are human beings and we're all prone to bias. And it's it's hard to not inherently have some, but... um, Of the 13 included trials, seven examined the effect of eating breakfast on weight change, and 10 examined the effect of breakfast on calorie intake. Um, What did they find? They found a small difference in weight favoring participants who skipped breakfast. In other words, slightly lighter in body weight is what they mean by favorable. And again, that's something when we read stuff, Phil, it's like backwards sometimes, right? Like, oh, so wait. You weigh less if you skip breakfast, and that's favorable? Anyway, uh, but there was some inconsistency across the trials. Participants assigned to breakfast had a higher total uh, calorie intake than those who skipped breakfast, and the mean difference was 260 calories per day. So not a huge difference. In fact, again, talk about population specificity. 260-calorie breakfasts, I eat triple that even now, but okay. Um, And then it says there was substantial inconsistency across the trials that they studied. Um, It does say that bias was a problem. It says as the quality of the included studies was mostly low and or biased, the findings should be interpreted with caution. But they concluded that this study suggests that the addition of breakfast might not be a good strategy for weight loss because it literally came out to about a one pound difference in body weight for people who didn't eat breakfast versus those who did. Um, Anyway, might not be a good strategy for weight loss regardless of established breakfast habit. Caution is needed when recommending breakfast for weight loss in adults. So maybe they're just trying to get at the point that it is, it's almost dogma. Oh, you know, eat breakfast. And, but again, I, I, this comes back to your goals. If you want to have energy to lift later, you know, eat your damn oatmeal. That's my bias, right? My opinion, but, um, yeah, this just basically says it just doesn't matter much one way or the other. And I, I think it comes back to homeostasis just ruins a lot of these clever little tweaks people try. You know, 
I'll extend the fast or I'll, okay, well, you're going to cut all of 260 calories and maybe a pound off your body weight uh, on average. Um, Not to say there's not more structured ways to go about this and look at this, but again, this is a study of other studies and it suggests it just doesn't matter that much. Uh, Phil, what about you with your clients? Do, do you have breakfast skippers? I, I probably asked you this in the past. Or mm. What do you recommend? I have some that do. I mean, but I try and get them to eat something before they come in. Some of my 5.30 a.m. people, it's hard. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Because then you're talking, they need to wake up at 4 and you know, get something in. So, um, And some of them just work well that way, but it's definitely a minority. Um, most of them do well by getting something in first. And even if they haven't before, we start them on that, getting some kind of at least small stack of snack in, and then they'll find out they, they train better. So, yeah. Yeah. I, th- I just think it has sort of a energizing and steadying effect on your nervous system. And, you know, when you're fasted for extended periods, I don't know, to me, life just sucks. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. I mean, as far as I go with strength athletes and things like that, I find it's the, it's definitely the food prior that has more impact on our training than the food after. So, you know, right, when, yeah. I'm, when I know I have a hard Saturday coming up, I'm thinking about that on Friday. You know, I need to eat today. I need to make sure I'm fed and ready to go for tomorrow. So, Absolutely. Yeah, get that muscle glycogen, you know, leveled up so you can perform. Yep. Makes sense. I mean, the two ways to look at that stuff has always been eat before to fuel up or eat after to recover. But the simple answer is just do both. You know, yeah. So, uh, yep. Um, I only have one last thing in the news. Uh, I saw this on social media, and since you know him, I thought I would ask you about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Jim Wendler was talking pretty down about science. It, to me, it's an argument that I don't think anybody can ultimately win. Like, you know, to hell with science. Almost this is the way I was kind of reading this. Like, mm-hmm. to hell with science. Uh, I've got, you know, the vomit and blood and sweat to back up what I'm saying. But, of course, on the flip side, a scientist might say, well, but that's an N of one. That's you, bro. Even if you've seen that for years or is true with you or even your clients, science tries to look at averages and answer little questions an inch forward, right? And, I mean, I always tell students our lights come on and our buildings stand straight because of science. Like, it works. (laughs) Medicine is much better than it was 100 years ago. That's because of science. Now, what's your thought in talking to Jim about that stuff? I mean, is he is he just saying, "Listen, experience rules," or um, what's your perspective, or what are your what's your insights on that stuff? Yeah, and then I'd also take it as you know, science is neat, and we all say this, but how many studies have we seen? Like there was the one I talked about a couple years ago, where they put people in bench shirts and proved they make you stronger. <laughs> You know, thanks for that. Well, right. thanks. There's a lot of that, and we all know there is. There's a lot of stuff that science is working on to prove that basically practitioners already know. Yeah, because they've been doing it for years. And when you, like you said, when an anavon, okay, that doesn't that doesn't matter. And all of us coaches work that way. Let's say we use it on ourselves or one client. Hey, that's neat. Let's try it on ten more, fifteen more, twenty more. And then you start getting. Hey, man, I've worked with fifty three people and it worked. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I think so. in clinical science, I mean, they call that a, you know like a serial case study yeah. or a, a series of case studies because it does it does bring insight. Uh, yeah. I, I think sometimes with that obvious kind of science, it's just that 
you, for science to work, you have to almost submit it for filing, if you will, you know, get it documented so then it can inch forward because the the knowledge and the wisdom of any given coach could be lost when she dies or he dies, you know, and that kind of stuff. And I mean, yes, you, yeah. you pass it on to your your clients. It's almost like that old martial arts model. I mean, you're talking about systems that are thousands of years old because they pass it on. Um, but I think writing stuff down and then inching forward in a very systematic way, I think is, uh, I still think is a good thing, you know? Yeah. And I think the other thing it hits on is there's a large group of people and there always will be, especially newcomers or maybe, you know, not even intermediate yet, but you know, they've been at it a little while and now they are, they are totally wrapped up in making the perfect plan. So far wrapped up and so stressing about, they never just implemented plan hard. You know, yeah. and I can take two people and, you know, with, with, with Joe, we can try to implement the perfect plan and make these changes all the time. And with John, we just take a simple plan and work really hard and John's going to pass them up. You know, mm-hmm. at some point the rubber has to hit the road and just hard work can, can beat out supposedly this perfect plan. That's not this perfect plan done poorly or done without aggression. You know, yeah. you take an okay or even a poor plan. We've well, we've all seen that. We've seen people. I mean, a lot of your bodybuilders could probably case studies for this that just have this horrible plan, but just because they implement it really hard, hey man, they're they're jacked. So, well, what do uh, we just say in that meta analysis? You know, studies can have bias, and yeah. it kind of doesn't matter. That, that what I took away from that particular paper was that it doesn't really matter much if you eat breakfast or not. You know, whatever fits you, you know, and I think that's sort of um, that's one of the tough things about working with free living people. You know, in exercise physiology, we're one of the very few groups other than very high end like uh, federal studies that involve MD, PhDs. But exercise scientists, we do studies on people. You know, it's not in a dish. It's not in a rat. We look at human beings. But when you work with free living people, homeostasis just kind of ruins the day. You know, you can try to eat all your carbs in the morning versus the evening or you can try to skip breakfast or or intermittent fast or uh and but to your point unless it's part of um some type of plan that you stick with long enough and and really invest in uh your body's adjustments and homeostatic mechanisms to stay even keel it's going to ruin your clever little minutiae you know it's just going to ruin it yeah, that's. I mean, I, I don't want to speak for Jim because I'll be honest with you. We don't talk about science much. We talk about what we're doing with our kids, what's working and what's not. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I know that you're and, not uh, like his ambassador or anything. Yeah, but, but uh, no, I mean, that's the way I took it. It was like, yeah, I mean, science is great. But like we've talked about for science without practitioners is, is is almost meaningless. You know, you just have something that we think this. OK, now how do we test this? Put it in the practitioner's hands. Yeah, you know, let them try it on hundreds of people in the real world. Uh, years lots of ago, things work in the lab. Right, that's <laughs> right. You know, people say um, knowledge is power. Years ago, I I thought no, applied knowledge is power. Right, you got to have somebody applying it. Uh, that's that sort of reciprocal model. That's how this is. You know, um, they often talk about bench top to bedside in clinical stuff. You know, or in this case, it would be the chemistry bench top to literally the gym bench, like. Mm-hmm. What is it, it? It really needs to be a reciprocal model. Like I'd say, oh, caffeine's. I'm seeing 10 percent increases in bar speed, Phil. You know, what do you think? Yeah. You know, are you seeing that too? It's it's yeah. really good confirmation, or even 
hey, can you go try this with your people? And then the practitioner feeds back, hey, this part really, I think there's something here. This part, I wouldn't keep pursuing that. I know statistically it's significant, but I didn't see much happening with that. You know, and then, but th- th- you still have the scientist providing insights in a very controlled way that's at least hopefully more bias free, you would yeah. think. Um, I don't know. I, I, I also think that a lot of times beginners do get involved. They get enamored with the science. They're like, oh, there's this whole world. Because this was me. Like, I discovered peer-reviewed journals on the second floor of the Kent State Library. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is solid gold. Like, there's much yeah. less bias here or at least opinion. You know, you get online and even a lot of websites that used to have sort of evidence-based articles are very like a single coach's opinion kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. and that has less value to me. But – you do run the risk of, again, getting bogged down in minutia uh, because science is reductionist. It has to be, right? It's, it's not going to give you a conclusion like the journalists want. Like, this is good for your bench press. Well, I don't have any equipment that measures good. Never have, yeah. you know, uh, and that kind of stuff. I could talk about bar velocity after this dose of caffeine in this gender and this training status. You know, it, it's it's – inherently reductionist that's actually why it's good but i think the average person they want too much out of it but you know many years later uh you're better off because you have made these incremental little check marks you know and documented it and moved on kind of thing i guess i i also got a feel from some of jim's posts and i don't i don't remember if it was instagram or where i saw this stuff but he was uh and i agree with this quite a bit actually but he was railing a little bit against being a, a certified coach in, from one group or another. You know, you get that, you see that with a lot of these, in my opinion, kind of useless nutrition certificates. They don't allow you to practice it. That'd be like me going to get a certificate in dentistry. Well, yeah. that's personal enrichment, but that doesn't make me a dentist. I, I, I don't have a license to practice. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I think we probably agree on this too. The older you get, um, this overzealous buy-in with any single group can be dangerous because you lose perspective. You know, you start to look at everything through one lens, and if the propaganda machine – and there is an element of this, right, In with these different groups. Professional groups that get involved in, in the science talk about risk of bias, right? This yeah. is my opinion, but they're going to have a certain party line – and they're going to be very loath to, to drift from that uh, and, and if, to, to, to such an extent, right, because then their books won't sell or they're – you can't illegitimize your own practitioners, right, if that's sort of your, your party line. Um, and maybe yeah. that's where he was going with that. Like, you know, be careful with this because don't tell me that if I let my a certification expire in this or that, something I've already held before, had one just like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm too salty to give a damn, you know, whether I'm current with my continuing education credits, you know. Yeah, no, and this is something I've talked about a lot. I know we've talked about it on the show. Like the first group when you start talking about that is like, I don't even know if they're still around, but the Czechies, like Paul Czech's people. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, there's a whole group of them where they've, they've studied under one coach, and I think that's problematic when somebody tries to learn under one system. Um. And that's it. They don't reach out and like question it and research other systems because what you end up with poor copies is poor copies of the original, <laughs> and that's all they are. Um, they're just trying to rehash what somebody else did, and they're probably restating it poorly. 
Um, they never get out and like get a, a breadth of knowledge and like form opinions of their own. <laughs> yeah. And that needs to be done as a coach. You need to, okay, learn this system, not question that system. And, you know, try something different. Oh, yeah. Over, over time, you figure out, oh, hey, you know, that, well, that was good. Maybe I'll stick with that. And what you end up doing is you pick four, four to six things out of this system, five, five or six out of that one, blah, blah, blah. And you end up with, you know, you form an opinion of your own and kind of like your own. One thing that Jim always talks about, form your own constitution or your list of, uh, what would you call it, uh, your code. You know, this is my creed and yeah. as a coach. And as long as you live by that, you know, don't break that. Um, and that has to be built over time, over years, you know, of, of trying things out. So this is what I believe in. Mm-hmm. And stick to that. You know, if you don't break from that, you'll probably do pretty good if you've taken the time to actually build up a lot of knowledge to create that. Yeah. You know, you can't just start tomorrow and become a personal trainer and this is my code. Your code has no backbone. Right. Know? Right. So how can you know what uh, matters most when you, you just haven't exposed yourself enough? Yeah, you just don't know. Yeah. So that's where I take it. Before we go to the topic of the day, while we're talking about Wendler, um, I'll give away some news. We're getting him out of the house. Uh, <laughs> this has been like probably, I don't know, 10 years in the making. I've been begging him to like, Hey, let's, let's, let's throw something. Let's do something. And, uh, because I think the last seminar he gave besides Swiss was the one he's done a couple of things, elite fitness things, but uh, he did one like 10 years ago in California that I went to. And anyways, he's coming out of the house and we're throwing a big event Woo. at my facility. So I've already got his hotel room booked. So it's, it's for sure going on. Um, and we're going to have a competition. It's going to be an NOV meet where Jim picks the three lifts. So you got to be ready for whatever Jim thinks is amazing. And you're sure it's going to be hard work. And uh, there's going to be, I'll just give away a few things. No no gender classes, no weight classes. Um, it's just everybody against everybody. There will be a coefficient that comes up, and whoever wins it, wins it. And we're hoping to get in the range of about $7,000 to give away um, to the people who win. There will be a prize for first, a big prize for first, a smaller prize for second, and then probably like a consolation prize for third, and no participation ribbons. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, alongside that, outdoors, we're going to have a Highlander event, which is half Highland Games, half Strongman. And then as well, we will do something that's called the Ironman, where is if you have the balls to do them both. You will start out and do the NLV v meet, and then you will go outside and do the other meet. So, oh, that'd basically, we're going to do two, two full meets in one day. This will be a one-day event. We've got a brewery lined up. They're going to brew some special beer, bring it down. We've got food trucks. We've got it all. So I'm going to be posting up hopefully next week. We're just waiting on art. I don't want to launch a website that's not totally done and get the final product. Sure. So the website's ready. I'm just waiting on new art for the event. And then uh, we're going to sell spectator t- tickets ahead of time because we're, we're going to end up capping the spectators too because I just don't have an abundance of room. You know, I don't want 500 people showing up and be like, oh, we're screwed. <laughs> so, oh, right. Yeah. Uh, we're selling tickets ahead of time to get in. It's 10 bucks. Um, yeah, we're going to close off the streets, working with the city on that. So closing off the street in front and to the side. So I'm sorry, when did you say time? we're going to close off the streets? Oh, no, I know. But I mean, when, when is this going to be? Oh. What month? Well, we'll uh, I'll go ahead and let it out on here. We haven't let it out. It's going to be in June, June 15th. Oh, so that's a special announcement just for iron radio listeners. People on the inter- interwebs don't know yet. So 
you guys and Jim's Jim's forum members are the only people that know right now. But June fifteenth. Um. So we'll be around Friday night, the fourteenth, and then Saturday is the day. So oh, we'll see. Come in and weigh in on Friday. Like it. And then Saturday we'll get it on. So looking to have vendors there. I've already talked to you know Mark Bell and the Slingshot team are going to do something. I don't know if as far as showing up yet or anything. But uh, we've got a couple of vendors already locked in. Like I said, we already have the brewery and the food trucks and Jim and his, his family. So Matt Vincent will be there with Hate Brand Goods. So cool. it'll be a good time. You know, I can actually. that's actually tempting to me because June and July are the months that I actually can do stuff, you know. Yeah, you need to come down. Yeah. You're going to have a good time. So I'm going to end up live streaming this thing. I, uh, I'm just buying all the equipment. He's like, I'm just going to buy it, and then I'll have it forever. And we can start <laughs> doing live streams in my gym. There you go. So I figured we can start doing short live streams and like little seminars and stuff. That way I don't have to get out too much. I can start becoming a a hobbit like Windler. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just broadcast from your hole. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's cool. Uh, okay. Uh, let's go to break, and when we come back, everybody, we're going to talk about minimums. So we'll be right back. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, There is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, There's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, everybody, we're back. 
It's Phil and Lonnie, and we're going to talk about minimums uh, with the concept of efficiency in mind. And, you know, it's an interesting thing to posit, right, is if you get benefit with a minimum amount, um, why would you do tons more? Because it starts becoming increasingly wasteful, you would think, at least if there's a threshold kind of effect. But So I'm going to toss out some questions to Phil, and we'll get some thoughts about this. Uh, let's start with minimum number of sets in the big three lifts, Phil. Um, I know you're probably going to say, well, it depends, <laughs> you mm, know? Yeah. but could you ballpark, uh, do they differ? Is it like three sets minimum? Is it five, you know, for the dead or the bench or the squat? What are your thoughts on minimum number of, of sets? If someone was pressed for time or just wanted to be efficient? I'd, I'd break it further down into minimum number i don't like sets okay uh i like to break things down into a minimum number of reps yep so like here's the total dose we need to get mm-hmm. that i find effective mm-hmm. and um usually you know, of course as the load goes down as the intensity goes down the dosage goes up <laughs> so yeah yeah um you know you start getting up to 80 90 and you could get as low as one to three you know mm-hmm. i mean so you start getting in the heavy range and what i'm looking for is you know we could get it done in one set if we wanted to let's say if we're 85 percent um we're looking to get somewhere in between it depends on the athlete and the changes that's the other thing that changes is as they get stronger there's a difference in between the effective dose for somebody that squats a thousand and somebody that squats 405 right yeah when we're talking 90 percent. so there's a lot of it depends <laughs> no i understand now let me let me uh, clarify then it is possible there is a scenario in which somebody could do a single set and walk away, and you'd be very oh, happy with that. Yes. Like if we're, we're going to do a single set at 80% or whatever, which we'll do a lot of, um, and uh, you know, we're looking for something generally where I stop them. It ends up being, being in between, let's say 80%, it's going to end up in being between five and like eight reps, maybe at 80%. There's a really hard set, um, uh, or even three, three and eight. But uh, depending on their how advanced they are, um, mm-hmm. but we're always ending it off with a rep or two in the hole. So what I'm looking for is an eight. Where we stop things when the bar is still, when when you're still moving correctly, before there's massive form breakdown, and we'll give you one pass. Like oh that rep was messed up, you need to fix it, you know. And if they don't fix, if that problem shows up again on the next rep, we're done. We've we've passed your threshold. You know, mm-hmm. you've reached to the point where you can't fix it even on a coaching cue. So you're done. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so um, if you can fix it on the coaching cue, okay, we'll keep going because you just messed up. Everybody can mess up, you know. Like don't so, practice it wrong. Yeah. You know? And the, like we're, we're looking to practice perfect reps all the time. But, I mean, just to give you a general outline, I mean, at 70%, we're probably looking somewhere in between. If I take genders out of the equation and, and uh, advancement, somewhere between 20 and 40 reps. At seventy percent, yeah, eighty percent. You're looking somewhere in between eight and fifteen. Ninety percent in between one and ten is what yep. we're looking for for a minimum effective dose. So, um, and we don't one hundred percent. Of course, it's one. We're hoping. So <laughs> we're hoping we can get one another right. But sometimes that doesn't work. Yeah, you're not so. going to do. Um- 10 singles with a 95% load in an advanced athlete, you know, yeah, <laughs> destroy them. 
Yeah, that's telling you where we usually end at. A lot of our stuff, especially when I'm working with people on site, it's different when I'm working with somebody at a distance because I can't be there. But um, we'll have a plan for the day, but that plan can change and go up and down depending on how they're moving for the day. Like our plan is, okay, we're working to hard hard triples, and this is what we're shooting for. Um, but depending on how you're moving that day, that might change. So it might go up, it might go down. Uh, depending on how you're recovered. All I'm worried about is speed on the bar and perfect reps. Yep. So, and as long as we get that, we're getting those, those hard sets in for the day, um, then then we're fine. So I, I'm constantly moving people up and down. Oh, it's a good day. You know, we're going to strike when the iron's hot a little bit. But then we have other plans where it's like just punch clock. Like I got a bunch of high school kids in now, and all we're looking to do is get a lot of work in in the off season. So it's very methodical. Okay, add five pounds, do it again. You know, on your next time, it's okay. We're going up five more pounds, and we'll do that four, five, six weeks in a row, where they're just literally doing a, like periodized the training, where they're okay. Add five pounds, rinse and repeat. So we're just looking to build a base. So it depends again on, and they're not that advanced. So with my advanced athletes, I got to get a little more uh, fluid. Okay, because yeah. Brian can't come in and squat nine thirty every day. <laughs> you know, yeah, he might only be good for eight twenty. You know, there's a big swing in what they're good for from day to day. But once you're talking advanced people, like super advanced, so. <laughs> yeah, that's those numbers you just gave. Like Brian, that's absurd. You know? Oh my god, well, it's like yeah. you're off the map. Like here be monsters, right? Because nothing even fits anymore. <laughs> yeah, but I mean that's that's the what you have to deal with as a coach. I mean, you really what I've seen is my more advanced people percentages really start going out the window a lot. And it's very individual with them. Like with Brian coming up to pull that 930, we only had one week in the whole training plan we ever went over 750 on deadlift. Interesting, yeah. The rest of the time it was spent much lower. It was spent in the 700 range. And he came in and killed 903. You know, and it's it's because <laughs> we can get our minimum effective dose out of just moving 700 and some pounds fast. Yeah. And you, his body, anybody, I'm I'm guessing – can only handle so many 900 poles, you know. Right, so. totally. Yeah, we've talked about gross gross yeah. load versus percentages in, in the elite. And, you know, there's just so little science on guys yeah. like that. It's like you said, you almost have to be fluid and try to extrapolate from <coughs> what you've experienced yourself, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I mean, like one of my deadlifters that can pull 400 or something, yeah, they can come in and hit five sets of three at 325. But if I tried to get Brian to pull five sets of three at like 830, no, (laughs) no, he's going to die. Yeah, (laughs) totally. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's very dependent on their on on their what they can do. It's really just sort of a plausibility argument I'm trying to get at here with these minimums. Right. I I mean, because your end game is strength. I mean, from my perspective, this was years ago. I think it was a study from McMaster, but I was up in Ontario at the Ontario Exercise Physiology Conference, and essentially they were saying for muscle protein synthesis, so just hypertrophy reasons, right, three sets seems to be ideal. And if you go beyond that, uh, there's not a statistically significant enhancement further. So, Mm -hmm. and, you know, that started making me think, especially in my post-competitive years, like now, (laughs) like why am I, why would I do eight sets of bench pressing? Like Mm -hmm. I just... If three mostly gets the job done. Now, 
again, this is where the practitioner side comes in because then, or the personal experience because I'm like, well, I can guarantee I'm going to be better off in some way. It could be a sister muscles or some type of uh, stabilizers or I'm going to get some benefit if I then change the movement. And instead of barbell bench press, I go do some flies or something that's really rather different. Yeah. I'm going to get angles and differences. I think we had Joey Antonio on talking about satellite cell activation and, you know, muscular development across you know from origin to insertion of a muscle and that's to me that's why you do different movements but even so i don't see myself doing 20 sets of of chest work in the gym from a muscle protein synthesis perspective at least not in the same movement not only does it is it diminishing returns after so many sets but i think it's actually detrimental because then you're just burning calories that you could use to grow you know I mean, I can tell you this. If we want to break down sets, if I broke down all the percentages I do and the reps I prescribe, it's usually somewhere between three and six sets for okay. strength work. No, that's so good. That's what we're doing. It's probably right in there. It's three and six, three to six hard sets, um, no more than six. Uh, but even even when we're when I'm working with some of my more fluid athletes, and we're talking about like we're going up to solid but hard triples, it's usually going to be in that three to six set range. I don't want them to just we need the we need the total work in for strength, so it's not our plan is never just okay. I know I'm we're using the safety squat bar. Last time I did this much for a triple, so we're going to go right to five pounds over that. No, we're going to cre- we're going to start we're going to get in that hard range, and then we're going to take smaller jumps. So we get into that three to six hard sets. I'm not so worried about I'm never worried about a true max in uh in the gym. I'm more worried about total work done that's hard. If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Like we'll get into, let's say he did 575 for a, for a hard triple last time. We'll probably start around 500, our triples, and then our next jump might be 530. Okay, that was harder, 545, 555. We're going to look to get in some some sets in that range. <clears throat> you know, that range, once it starts getting hard, we're looking to get multiple three to five sets of of hard but solid work in. Right. I like And I like how you say sort of it might be as doubles or triples, but the total mm-hmm. number of reps, reps as the dose. Yep. I once drew um, – I published it somewhere. But basically it was a two-way arrow, and it was that balance between – like what's the total number of reps you might want to do in the gym? And yeah. again, I was thinking more from a muscle protein synthesis side of things but or and some practical experience. But So on one end, if you're at in 90% loads – it was 10 reps or less. Like, mm-hmm. And then on the other end, if it's 70%, it was sort of the other end of the spectrum, it was mm-hmm. 40 reps. So that's sort of what you're playing with, I think, as far as total weight times yeah. rep volume. You know. Yeah, and I can't give up everything I've worked on over 20 years. Oh, sure, sure. And and I've, I've, got yeah. tables of, I've got tables of stuff where it's like, oh, I've even got it broke down into gender and how advanced they are. Generally, I can tell you that most of my – intermediate females can they need not can handle they need more total volume so their total dosage usually is higher right yeah um than a male at the same in the same area they can handle uh like i can take a girl and a lot of times or a woman whatever i mean (laughs) and uh we can throw 90 percent on and they'll hit like six or hell we'll throw on five pounds less than their max and they'll hit five (laughs) and then we throw their max on they hit one you know, yeah. where they, as a dude, you like you take five pounds off their max, and they still hit one. You know? Yeah. 
So there's a, there's a difference in there in that intermediate range. Now, once you start getting up to, uh, once you start getting up into elite ranges, the genders kind of balance out. So like Felicia, she just pulled four fifty five for a triple. Uh, she's not going to do. We can't drop twenty pounds off that and expect eight. <laughs> yeah, women are more resilient. I think their yeah. tissues are more resilient in the whole estrogen effect. But at some point, they can tear themselves apart like a dude. Yes, exactly. You know? So it just depends on how strong they are, and that's what I have. I have different. Uh, you know, I'm starting to build different tables for my people that are more advanced. Okay, here's what I know they can handle, and even in then, then it breaks down even further to this is what this individual responds best to. Yeah. But then I also have to test that because a lot of times we can get good advancement out of, okay, let's take them out of their comfort zone. You know, let's mm-hmm. make them do set to 20 in off season. You know, yep. they're really good. They respond well to three to one to three reps. But we get in the off season, we're going to throw something totally different at them. Um, and the load's going to be adjusted accordingly to where it's not that hard and it's very doable. But uh, we'll get good response out of that, out of making them do what they don't like to. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay, let me let me try to pin you down a little bit. So what about like I know you've made a comment before about um minimum weight on the bar and the deadlift if you're a grown ass man. Did you say oh. a 405? Uh, Is that what you yeah, said? I still I still get shit for this. Uh, <laughs> I get like hate mail. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, I will I will I will stand by that for my whole life and I might even raise it now. But if you are a a grown ass man despite your weight, I don't care what you weigh. You should be able to do the 405. I don't care what your goal is. If you're a marathon runner, you could I could easily get you, and it would probably help your marathon running, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> just to have that base strength behind you in your hamstrings and stuff. Um, 405. There's no reason. I mean, a lot of my girls are doing that now with with ease. You know, numerous ones of them, mm-hmm. and I've got little 15 year old kids that are doing that. So, <laughs> so it might be a form issue. If somebody comes up and they're like, listen, I can't get two and a quarter off the ground. Let's say it's somebody who's recreationally active. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be partly a form issue as well. Yeah. You think? Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, if you just can't deadlift 225, yeah, you've got, <laughs> you've got problems. <laughs> you've got problems. <laughs> okay. Yeah. For getting anybody to 405, I have, you know, yeah, with females, it's a lot of work, especially your lighter females. But, um, you know, with females that are, into strength training, it's not it's not that big a deal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just mm-hmm. hard work. Right. Um, but with guys, I mean, I can get most fifteen year old kids to pull four hundred five. I mean, it's not. It's, give me a couple months. You know, yeah. a lot of them we can get them there if they're in any kind of decent shape. Now, if you bring me some kid, all he's done is played Xbox and eating Cheetos. Then yeah, it's going to take us some time. We got to build some That's kind right. of athletic base. Yeah. Yeah. First, and I can't rush through that. So right. So, yeah, I'll stand by that. Four or yeah. five. Like a standard. Life. Yeah. Okay. Uh, body weight bench. You know, if, if you can't bench body weight, I mean, I'd love to say body weight press, but that's impressive. Uh, <laughs> oh, right. Yes. You know, a is. body weight bench. Any, any dude should be able to do a body weight bench and maybe one and a half times body weight squat. You know, there's that's a nice fair. baseline. Yeah. For any, for just an average athlete. Mm-hmm. You start talking strength athletes, yes, it changes considerably. But. Um, yeah, because you're talking like a, maybe a you know three fifteen squat, even a little less at one and a half times body weight for an average sized person. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. So I mean, and that's you'll be in decent shape. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, and you could still go out and run to your heart's content. There's no reason you can't run and be able to come in the gym and squat three hundred five or three fifteen. Yep, I mean, that's it's gonna you'll be fine. So all right, 
Um, I also said we would talk about supplements and meds and stuff like that. Let me offer a couple of things here. Uh, this came up last week is fish oils. I, I was talking to a friend of mine and – she said, "Well, we eat tilapia. You know, isn't you know? Don't we get enough? We don't supplement omega threes." I'm like, "Well, that's not going to do it. Like, that's probably not the right fish choice." And then a student actually said, "Well, what's the minimum?" Well, let me lay it out here because because fish oils are something that I think most people should pursue. I don't think the Western world is going to provide them unless you seek them. Mm-hmm. Um, most people I know, if unless they're eating lots of cold water fish like salmon. Um, they're not getting enough. So the, if you look at the literature, a lot of the anti-inflammatory and antidepressant doses of omega-3 start around 500 milligrams a day, and average Joe gets less than half of that, you know, um, almost none <laughs> when I look at diet mm-hmm. records of college students. So if it's 500 milligrams, right, or half a gram, that's going to be sort of minimum. I take more than that. I take like a total of around 2,000 milligrams of EPA plus DHA, right, the active fatty acids you know, in the, in the fish oils, but um, 500 milligrams. So if you go look, like some of these krill uh, fish oil, I know they're more absorbable and whatnot, and Mike Nelson and I have talked about this, but they're so underdosed, in my opinion, that you'd have to take a half a dozen of them. So it's good to know like where – if there's a tipping point, you know, like a minimum dose of fish oils, I would say that's around 500 milligrams a day, mm. something you might want to think about. For protein, this comes up all the time in like beginning nutrition or exercise science classes. How much protein do I need? Well, the literature suggests about 20 grams, which is conveniently about a scoop, you know, of whey protein or egg protein, uh, something like that. That's going to really, you know, significantly increase muscle protein synthesis. And um, if if you're young and you're eating triple that, that's diminishing returns, right? So if you want to save money, that might be the way to do that. Do one scoop of your whey protein or whatever protein powder you have, egg, some high-quality protein powder, and then maybe the other protein you get by eating something. Just go freaking eat some food instead of just trying to you know, increase that with you know, these minutia-type calculations and stuff like that. So 20 grams minimum if you're young – Maybe 40 if you're old and you're listening to this because you're anabolic resistant. But So that would be, in my opinion, per meal protein dose. Creatine, um, the, the lowest end of that would be 5 grams a day. Um, I know a lot of people like to take a tablespoon, which is about 5 grams, four times a day and get that 20-gram loading dose. Uh, by day four, like 90% of that's ending up in your pee. So, uh, again, do you want to waste money? Or do you want to hit that minimum mark? And so actually one tablespoon, it might take a month for you to properly fully load. But, you know, a tablespoon after workouts with your food, um, you're good. You're probably good. It's going to take you a little bit longer. You're going to get a little bit less dramatic fluid shifts and that kind of stuff. And I know a lot of young guys, they like to swell up on the creatine a little because, you know, the hydration shifts into the muscles and they feel rounder and bigger and okay that's fine that you know just exciting to you um but minimum wise yeah a tablespoon after workouts over the course of a month uh that sort of thing um i don't know Uh, i'm I'm trying to think of other you know dietary i got a fun one one. i won't say who i was talking with but uh we were having a conversation about anabolics and uh 
and I'll say this right now. If, you, if you're a strength coach and you just – we talk about these things. It, it happens. So <laughs> That's right, yes. Um, uh, um, we got to talking about what was the Anadrol. And I was, oh, it's super liver toxic and this and that. And he's like, yeah. He said, so I went and researched it. And he said, I went and looked in medical journals. And everybody's like, oh, never take more than 50 milligrams because your liver will be fried in like two weeks. And he said in the medical journals, and I just looked it up myself just because I was remembering the conversation while we are here. The, the effective dose in medicine for like somebody my size would begin at 100. Interesting. And it ends at 590 a day. You know? Wow. Yeah. So, and he's like, this, this, the street knowledge, he said, is way, way away from science. You know, it's like, they're like, yeah, they're totally comfortable. Here's 500 milligrams. It's going to make you feel better. You know, you're talking muscle wasting and things like that. But I mean, you know, even, even that, you know, in anabolics. But then we also talked about it. It's all these people. And I posted about this not long ago. Like, people go from nothing to everything. I'll take them all. And it's like, bro. Why don't you try a little bit? Yes. <laughs> you know? Well, that's why and minimums, again, a, right? Hence minimums. And that's a, yes, and that's another huge case of the minimum effective dose. Like take as little as possible to reach what you can. You know, you've only got one body and nobody's going to – if somebody's telling you, if anybody's telling you like, oh, yeah, anabolics are totally great for your health. No, no, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of side effects and you need to research that. Yeah. So the last thing you want to do is go take freaking you – know, I'm going to take five grams. You know? And you know what, too? I mean, because of the way a lot of um, – like what you hear online and you know, lay people, they think like how many grams or how many thousands of milligrams. I mean, I can tell you back in the day, they didn't talk about these things in thousands. Mm-hmm. They were done yeah. in hundreds exactly. or even dozens, like minimum effective dose of like uh, mixed testosterone esters, you know, uh, 200, 250 a week. Dude, you're going to feel that. Like – and you're going to gain weight and strength. And again, that's 250 milligrams. That's a quarter of one gram. Yeah. And, sort of, you know, that kind of thing. And now you got guys talking like, yeah, like you said, they're counting in grams. But uh, right. <laughs> that's where it starts. One of my favorite books was uh, John Cook's book on powerlifting. And this was back in the 80s. And he like lays out his training and what he took every day. Um, so I'm just blatantly honest, you know, and because mm-hmm. uh, I think it was back before they were banned and made totally illegal. Yeah, but, Schedule uh, one and all that. Yeah. It was uh, like he, right before the meet, he topped out taking 40 milligrams of D-ball. You know, that was the highest he went. Yeah. And now you got guys like, yeah, I'm on 400 milligrams. Oh, right. <laughs> you know, it does bring up a point that the different medicines have very different, whether it's like from a receptor affinity point of view or anabolic to androgenic ratio, like – uh, the amount of winstrol someone might take to get ready for a bodybuilding show because it, you know, it doesn't really make you retain water. It brings out striations. A lot of this stuff you're not going to see in medical journals. That's like yeah. that might be 25 milligrams a day. Like you're, yeah. you cannot even think gram quantities of something like that. <laughs> Already, it's going to make your HDL, your good cholesterol, essentially zero. So yeah. get off that shit after a couple of weeks. Yeah. It's a finishing drug. You know what I mean? And it's that sort of thing. Like um, they're vastly different or like Nandrolone, right, DECA, much lower. You're usually not talking about gigantic doses because mm-hmm. milligram for milligram, it's just a different medicine and you, you dose it differently. I know we have some PharmD guys who lift and listen to the show and sometimes I'll even tap them for their knowledge on things. And um, they're probably laughing at this conversation, right? But yeah. again, you're talking about these like – you know, Jersey Shores type people who yeah. they just they act like it's all one thing, 
And it, it's almost like you need a metaphor. Like, guys, think about like there are different flavors of ice cream. You know, they're very <laughs> different. They're, yeah. Ice cream is not one thing, and neither are are these anabolics. Yeah, and it's and the, the sad thing is, is people they don't do any research. And generally, what I'm seeing now is what we just talked about: is they don't start off and find the minimum effective dose. They're not like, "I'll just take two fifty. They're like, "Give me a gram," because he's doing six grams. You know? right. It's like, "Whoa, of bro, what? <laughs> let's see what a little bit does to you." you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, I've talked you know, to guys backstage and stuff if they're using uh, some of the you know the harsher meds, like you mentioned, anadrol, and um, that makes some people really feel like shit. Like yeah. really just – they just don't feel good and it's like, well, you can't even tease apart because of your your ignorance and just like you said, jumping into yes. all of it. You <laughs> you can't tell if this is a dose issue or is it the med itself because you just jumped yeah. – you just went to an 11 on the dial yeah. and you didn't even try a 2 or a 3. Well, that's what – that's what I mean. I, the good thing is I deal with a lot of people on – well, I deal with a lot of strength athletes, but I also deal with a lot of – uh you know, people that are on replacement, you know, mm-hmm. 50-year-olds and things like that. Yeah, and even yeah. they can tell you, man, the doc started me on 150 and I feel amazing. You know, <laughs> And it's this minimal effective dose to just feel good at, at some point. Yeah. You know, and when you're talking with that population. and Oh, uh, yeah. like it, it, it can extend into the hydrating your joints, like joint health. Yeah. Your back feels better. You're not yeah. foggy mentally. It's not just about sex drive or weights in the gym. Yeah. You know. For sure. And I mean, the good thing is, is I'm able to have open, honest conversation with like one of my guys was like, yeah, I'm on replacement this and that. And Doc keeps me about here. He said, but I'll tell you what, when he got me up to 1500, I was feeling amazing. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I'm sure you were. Right. You know, yeah. But, th- that uh, hyper physiologic, the pharmaceutical yeah. dose, different things happen in the body. Right. It's yeah. just different things happen. So, yeah. And that's I mean, while we're talking minimum effective dose, I figure we better touch on that because I think a lot of people miss, miss the cart on that thing. And they they just go way, way too far. That's a good so, call. It's that more is better. Up. You know, people have that yeah. more is better mentality, yeah. whether it's protein or, or juice or or pick one, you know, um, number of sets in the gym. You know, all the hyperbole yeah. in the muscle magazines like destroy your pets, annihilate your quads. No. How about yeah. you just you know max out protein synthesis and walk away you know i mean look at caffeine you know the, i remember a couple months back you guys were talking about I, I noted it while you guys were talking about like yeah the effective dose was like six milligrams per kilogram or something yeah and yep. that you found i was like oh, okay i'll try that it was like 800 no I was like, not for you that's not you <laughs> <laughs> i went to the gym like wow this is too much oh for sure <laughs> in fact you know what i mean it, with any kind of drug we were we actually there was a poster one of the students we made this you know there wasn't a, a direct linear correlation between caffeine intake and performance and that's because the, the way statistics works is they try to draw straight lines it's the general linear model and but the real um effectiveness curve and again this is childishly simple to a, like a farm d but is yes it does go up linearly to a point then you start to overdose and it goes down it's a u upside down u you know and yeah. your performance will actually suffer. You'll be so jittery. And, yeah, that's a good point, too. Caffeine's another one that people just more – or stimulant tough stuff in general, you know, yeah. pre-workouts. More is better. No, it's really, really not. Yeah. You know. And that's – I think it was 700 milligrams I took that day. Jesus, Phil. In a single dose. And, man, I was flying. I was way overstimulated. That's another 
Dude, that is another example. Like when we talked about uncharted territory with large mammals, mm-hmm. you cannot do that five or six milligram per kg no. uh, ergogenic dose in a large mammal because I mean some things are dosed more like on a threshold. Like you yeah. take two aspirin or you take two to four ibuprofen or whatever, you know, because that tends to work. More mm-hmm. is not better, and for yeah. whatever reason, now you know what? Unfortunately, I think with like gross bloated weight gain with anabolics, more is, in a very crude way, more effective at making the scale move, you know? And I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of people in our population, they do have a more is better mentality, uh, whether it comes to number of sets in the gym or Mm -hmm. milligrams of caffeine or anything else. They just kind of apply this more is better because in some scenarios from a very sort of ignorant, just gross crude perspective – with some things, it can be true up, you know, up to a point. Yes. But like you, a good point you made. But then your the side effects start becoming lopsidedly involved because you didn't yeah. you didn't try to do something. In my house, we do everything like that. Honestly, like uh, whether it's over counter meds or whatever, is how little can I get away with doing this? You know, and just let my let my body adapt or you know, and fight fight the infection a little myself or oh. whatever. You know, whatever. Yeah, usually, I, I I agree 100% on training and stuff, and and well, training and drugs. It's it's impatience is what it is. It's like I talked about. Everybody wants to go from couch potato to cone in like a year. Yeah, couch <laughs> uh, to cone. <laughs> yeah, they, so they take everything and train everything, and they're not thinking long term. So what do we see? We see a lot of these guys are wrecked after a few years. Whereas if they back things off and hey, I'm going to take five or ten years, they end up in a better place. They probably end up further than they they would have, and they're still going. Yeah. And oh, we're huge. Not seeing, we're yes. not seeing a lot of it. We're already seeing it right now. We're just at the beginning of this stage. Because strength sports are just on this upswing, but I'm already seeing people that are like 27 and done. You're not seeing guys make it into their 40s and still going home. Dude, look at the old school like bodybuilders. You know, yeah. Bill Pearl still squatting 315 in his yeah. barn. Frank Zane doing backflips at 70, stuff yeah. like that. Uh, the And then in the 90s, you know, with the, the escalation of everything so dramatically – uh, and you could say maybe that started with uh, Dorian Yates, like that mm-hmm. ridiculous freak. Don't get yeah. me wrong; there were there were some real freaks around then too. But uh, yeah, now these guys, their career longevity is nothing. Like yeah. three to five years, and they, they've got yep. kidney damage and and torn mm-hmm. everything. And it's like idiot. But they even just, Dorian looks good. But he might be a genetic anomaly, and he's the beginning of that. So you know things. Well, if that worked for Dorian, I'll just take. Yeah. more. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, I think he so. got comfortable with being much smaller uh, yeah. in his post-competitive years, and you've just got to get your head around it. <laughs> yeah. But so. instead of not being able to let go, right? That's that's a whole other topic, really, is not being able to let go a little bit. But all right. Yeah, for sure. So. Well, that's good. Go, uh, yeah, Lisa, really good yeah, explore the minimums. Sure. Yep. So. All right. We'll talk to everybody next week. We got guests coming up here two in a row, uh, probably. And um, we'll see you then. Uh, it work. Thanks, guys. Hey, listeners. Have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls 
in the store, one for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good. Uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind. Things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.